enjoy the not knowing everything. It's, it's really something very few people will probably tell you, but some of the best things in directing and filmmaking come from that, and you'll only get it once. You only direct your first once. To allow yourself to not know and to go in and, you know, you're going to make choices, you're going to, ha you're going to do all that, that's fine. But you're also going to discover some things and you're going to try things that might be ill-advised because you don't know and they might be the best things you do. This notion of professionalism in art, it's, it's a misnomer, you know, we never get there. Hopefully, if we're doing real work, we never fucking know. We have to be vulnerable and fragile every single time. And if we're not feeling that way, if we're experts, we've lost our way. Uh, my name's Darius Martyr. I am the co-writer and director of Sound and Metal. Hello. Darius. Hey, Darius. How are you? Hey, Darius. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Thank you for joining us and thanks for sending over that clip that mm. you chose, uh, Stillness. And what we'd love for you is to just bring some context to the scene and sort of break it down for us. Well, it's cool. We're talking, we're calling it stillness. You know, this film on a writing level was um, very much about how do you start to actually feel um, this concept of stillness? How do you feel it? Like it's one thing to talk about it, but how do you feel it? Um, to the deed, the deed. Surgery. So it was always about there were these benchmarks in this movie. This scene is one of them. And it, it was about earning it. You know, how, how are you going to get into this scene and actually care enough for this character, for the fragility of this character and the awareness of, of this kind of higher wisdom that he's not necessarily emotionally intelligent enough to recognize in this moment. You know, how, how do you earn that? How do you get there? Um, and so, you know, the whole, the whole progression here, you know, which begins with this kind of onslaught of noise in the beginning of this movie and, and the music they play, but also the energy that he has. Um, it was, it was just beginning that, you know, it was kind of hitting you, awakening your senses, then having it removed, then going through this whole visceral process, recognizing how fragile he really is, recognizing that this problem is actually not, in fact, the physicality of deafness, you know, that's not really the problem. That's not actually the conflict in this movie, you know, it's the conflict for Ruben, but it's not the conflict in the film. I wonder, uh, all these mornings you've been sitting in my study, sitting, have you had any moments of stillness? So here's a really interesting thing on a screen, on a screenwriting level, Ruben. because this is what happens in the scene. Um, how, how do you feel an addict? Um, and the precariousness of an addict without ever seeing a drug. My brother and I, we wrote, um, we wrote a lot of pages for this. <laughs> In order to get to this, this story, you know, we probably wrote 1,500, 2,000 pages. We wrote, it in, we wrote it in every single direction. And part of the reason we wrote a lot of Ruben's backstory, we, 
we really lived into him as a character. We also did the same for Lou. You know, we wrote a lot of the songs and the poems. We wrote her whole journey to, to Europe that's off screen. Um, and part of that is just to really feel the sense of veracity of character, you know? You don't, you don't really enter into a movie like this and, you know, for, for Riz as an actor, you don't really enter in going, you know, oh, I hope this looks real, you know? It has to be very, very specific. And Ruben underwent a massive amount of, you know, abandonment, trauma as a young kid. Um, and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't look back. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't deal with it. He goes forward. He know, and, you know, if he's not doing that, he's numbing the pain. And that's where narcotics come in. Um, so Joe's not saying, so Ruben, let's talk about your life. You know? Right. He's not saying he knows Ruben can't talk about his life. He knows why someone looks to numb pain. You know, he's not saying let's process. He's saying, you know, if your brain is too noisy to sit with yourself, just throw words on the page. And the reason to throw words on the page is that some of that shit will find its way to the page. Some of that stuff you can't even afford to think about will find its way to the page. And in that way, you start to kind of involuntarily process some of those things. And that's what allows you to maybe sit for a second, you know? Maybe after you've you've gotten some of that out, you kind of just go, ah. And there is one moment when Ruben does that in the story, he sits in that room. And uh, so so in a way, you know, part of the structure of this film was to, was to kind of bring us into this uh, feeling of, okay, we know what it's like to not be in stillness. And we know what it's like to taste stillness. Where is Ruben now? So here we enter this scene. Where is Ruben now? And, um, and that's the kind of framework that, that begins the conversation of that scene. It's, it's also the crossroads of Ruben's kind of stages of grief. Honestly, it, it was a complete surprise to even find out that he was on heroin. I was like, oh shit, yeah. I didn't take him to be a heroin addict. Like, no way. Like yeah. That came, for me, I was like, man, that's that was a great reveal. That was something that, you know, some insight to the character. Yeah, that, that scene was something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something about even all the, the just kind of like the recovery stuff, like the recovery parlance and like a lot of the behaviorism and all that stuff of people in those places. And and, right. and the, and, and the leaders in those places, you know, someone is like, that's Joe, that is Joe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was heartbreaking in a way, you know, where Joe kind of spoiler alert, I guess, you know, turns his back on him in a way, but it's like, you know, that's, it was just remarkable that scene and, and the pain that kind of Joe releases at the end of that, you know, where he's just like, it ain't going to happen, you know, pack your bags and go. Mm -hmm. It's like, phew. Man, yeah. you know. Well, that's a great thing you bring up. You know, I think that Joe gives Ruben two gifts in this scene. Mm. And one of the gifts is, is telling him to get lost. Yeah. One of the gifts is kicking him out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a gift because, you know, Ruben, Ruben finds, you know, codependence in life. He finds ways to not deal with shit. Joe, that you're never going to do that with Joe, you know. So when Joe sees that addict. Yeah. Um, he knows there's no way, he knows there's only one way to deal with an addict. I mean, there's two, there's a couple things going on. You know, there's the fact that he has a group of, of deaf addicts that he's in charge of. Mm. Um, and he can't, he can't, you know, put them in danger. 
um, by having someone in Ruben's state around. And that's straight up, you know. Yeah. Imagine being on a boat. You know, I talked to Paul a lot about this. You know, imagine being on a boat and you have, you have um, a, a member of the crew that's, that's um, going to endanger everybody. You know, hmm. you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. We've got to deal with it. Yeah, and, wow. and, you know, so that's some of the energy that was there. Yeah. And, you know, for, for Paul, it was heartbreaking for Joe. It was heartbreaking because this is his flock. You know, he's a caretaker and he loved Ruben and we know that, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna put everybody in danger and he's not gonna, he's not gonna bullshit Ruben. It's like, man, I know you, I know you need to deal with something and you need to walk down that lonely ass road. And that's the only way you're going to deal with it. So get the fuck out of yeah. here. Joe felt like such a real person. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I can't, I can't really describe like the feeling he gave me while I'm watching this film other than he just felt really, he felt real, you know, like that this, this person has actually lived this lifestyle. Um, and I guess Darius, how do you, what is your character development process how do you come up with these these people that feel so authentic and real well the you know usually it's drawing from something that's really 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 specific and in the case of joe that was that was true you know it was coming from an experience i've had with a real uh character and i they don't generally come out of the ether you know Mm -hmm. and very very similarly to how an actor accesses truth which I think is really interesting about process. You know, I think writing and acting are similar in this way, which is, you know, acting when it's really transcendent is um, connecting with a truth that might seem incredibly far from your own, but actually isn't, you know, like, like, you know, Riz really found that in playing Ruben, like Ruben's probably more different than Riz, at least he thought, Mm. and than any other character he's played. Mm. But, but actually what Riz found in searching is that there were these kind of incredibly strong, you know, there's every actor has this, like what I call a garden of truth. You know, there's these things they can draw from real experiences that they have on a cellular level inside them. And when you can connect with that, that's when that really specific transcendent kind of performance comes from. And, you know, so obviously Paul was drawing from, a very rich garden, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's what we do as writers. You know, I think that you draw, what is your, what do you have in there? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you, what do you have to find? Um, and I think the process is about unearthing those, those things in you that, that maybe you're not even aware of. I mean, it took a while to find Joe, but once, once I found him, man, I know Joe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, writing him was just a flow yeah. state. Yeah, he, yeah, he's the kind of guy you you want in your life. Like everybody would want a Joe in their oh, life yeah. to be real, cut through the bullshit, and, and just tell know. you how it is. You know and what you really need, not what you want, but what you need in life. Darius, did you what did Riz share? Like, sort of how he prepared to get into the role of playing Ruben? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, one of the really exciting things that Riz and I did right from the beginning is kind of we set a really audacious process in motion, you know? So, so he was, he was kind of, this is what we were going to do. You know, you're going to shut off the whole world. And that's a hard thing to do in Hollywood, you know, to shut off, like not take scripts, not take meetings, move to Brooklyn and prepare this character for seven months, 
you know, and wow. do nothing else and learn drums from scratch and learn ASL, learn a whole language. Um, go to AA groups, go to NA groups, go to codependent anonymous groups. You're going to work with me. We're not working on the script. We're just working on the foundation of character. Wow. And so the amount of, of work that went in before we even hit set um, was kind of in, intense. And, you know, so, you know, even down to down, of course, all the tattoos are specific. They all mean very specific things. The clothing, the hair, also his accent, his accents from very specific place. It relates to a, a character that he met who's a drummer in a band called Surfboard, a guy named Sean Powell, who was an intense heroin addict. So it's like a, you know, Texas meets Arizona accent. It's like really, really specific mm. character foundational stuff. Yeah, that's, and, uh, that's crazy. I mean, you you have backstory for people that we don't even see in the film or mention. Everything in the film has a backstory. There's nothing that doesn't have a backstory. Wow. You know, it's, really, it's really interesting, actually, as it relates to writing. You know, it's it's fascinating. You know, these how is it that the world understands when there isn't a foundation under something? You know, it's like, well, how do we know that? You know, why do we feel that? Some of it's ineffable. You know, some of it's inexplicable. But some of it isn't, you know, I, you know, this, this, these little things, the small gestures, mm. the movements, the way Ruben walks, the way he holds his body, you know, it's, you know, some of it's the muscles that he built, literally, you know, Riz built these muscles. He built a body that Ruben would have. It's a body he's never had wow. as Riz, you right. know, so some of the way he walks is, is because his body feels different. It's mm. a controlled body. It's an addict's body. Right body that needs to stay in control it's a body made of smoothies and exercise right wow <laughs> um, well, that's insane what was the casting like i mean did you always have riz in mind or you know what was that like the process and obviously oh, no. i mean he was I, masterful i mean what a performance Jeez. he's masterful he's he did something really special mm. um it, you know i know i didn't always have riz in mind i didn't know who riz was when I started writing and Riz was Riz was at the very edge of his career when I started writing this. I mean, I started writing yeah. this, you know, what, 10 years ago. Wow. So wow. yeah. And I, so I didn't know who he was and I had been already casting for years before I met Riz and going into a meeting with Riz, I didn't know if he would be Ruben or not. You know, I knew he was insanely talented um, it's not hard to see that with Riz. It's not hard to watch, you know, Night of and the Night of and, and, and wonder if the guy has talent. But I didn't know if he was Ruben. It wasn't until I met him and saw and, you know, really kind of understood who he was that I realized what, what he had to bring to Ruben, which was super exciting, which was the fact that, you know, Riz is kind of a savant. He's kind of a control freak in a good way. Um, he's, a, he's a real artist, but he's really intense and he's looking to kind of devour everything in front of him. We joke and we call each other gobblers because we're always just trying to like oh, <laughs> gobble everything. And, you know, Riz, Riz was just, just tr wants to devour everything. And, and so there's this part of, there was this opportunity in this movie to, to actually create a scenario where he had to give up control. And that's the piece of him that's very much Ruben. He he had to he had to relinquish control. I didn't allow in all these scenes in this movie. I didn't allow for control. Like he was wearing ear um, custom made ear devices that emitted a white noise. He couldn't even hear his own voice. Wow. Uh, and wow. he was off, literally and physically off balance. It was like. Oh. Um, you know, the, the, the music in the beginning of the film, it's played live. There's a, 
there's a, you know, an audience there. There's, it's, I even told them I'm not even shooting so I can cheat it. There's no cutaways. There's no ability to cheat it. So they had to actually earn it. And that's, that's relinquishing control. That's saying, look, you don't, there is no control here. You just have to be there. You know? That's insane. And, um, it's an intense thing to do. It's really scary. And that's what makes it palpable. You know, you, you feel it in every moment. And it's actually relates to the scene of stillness because one of the things that I did that was, that's difficult to do on a film set is I shot chronologically. Wow. Um, wow. So everything is in order. And what that means is every things had stakes, you know, you, you uh, like once, once you have tinnitus, you have tinnitus. And, you know, once you lose your hearing, you, you, your hearing's gone. And so, you know, even in between shots, you know, I had to write things down for, mm. for Ritz, you know, notes. I couldn't just talk to him that we were doing sign language. Wow. So that scene with Joe, you know, that's, that marks a whole shift because it's chronological. So he's that goodbye is goodbye. That's yeah. the last mm. time they see each other. Wow. You know, that's the last time we're at that, beautiful place with all the deaf cast it's all gone after that there's a sense of of loss and we all felt it you know um Darius do you find that telling a shooting a film in chronological order like you said like you 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 can't really go back right I mean mm -hmm. that you've already done that do you think it's better for storytelling purposes to shoot in chronological order well infinitely better you know it's, it's hard, you know, the creative process is always begging us to control it. You know, we, we, we all want to control the creative process because then we're safe, then everything's okay. But actually inspiration and impulse, they don't come from control. They come when we let go, when we trust. And that's always frightening. It's always frightening to do that. So shooting chronologically is wonderful because you're, you're saying you're declaring this thing. You're saying, look, there is no going back. Just like you say, just like life, yeah. you know, something's going to happen and then we'll move on. And you know, that's the way this works. Um, oh, but can't we do that? No, we can't. Mm. Um, and you know, so like when, when, when Ruben and Lou say goodbye in the parking lot and have that scene and she drives off in the taxi, she has to leave the set. She's gone. She's not allowed. <laughs> she's not allowed right. there anymore. Wow. That's goodbye. Wow. Um, and then we don't see her again until the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And, so they, they actually, they were separated for that whole time. In, in oh, yeah. Wow. There's oh, yeah. That's incredible. Did you notice your script start to change a little bit by shooting this way? No, I, I, you know, the script is the script, but I did, I, I was always checking in with the script as we went to make sure that it was as efficient and, and on the money as possible. You know, the, really the reason for that is that, you know, we didn't have the kind of budget where you could just shoot extraneous things. And, you know, so it was really just about focus. And I, I think that, you know, I was really glad to be a screenwriter in those times because, you know, you can really stay in touch with how do we, how do we make sure that every scene is, you know, we have the time and the presence for every scene. You know, we don't, we, we cannot yeah. fuck around. You know, speaking of the script, like did this story come from any, like, was it inspired by anybody real that you might've known? Well, Ruben was, it, it, it was very personal to both me and my brother, but actually this story began um, with a friend of mine named Derek C in France. And he and I wrote place beyond the pines together and we do a lot together. But the very first thing we talked about was this movie. Uh, and that was 13 years ago. Wow. And he was shooting a band called Jucifer 
um, who are <laughs> a noise, they're, they're a metal band, uh, like a doom metal band. And just like, just like Ruben and Lou, they're, they're a couple live on the road. Oh, wow. So he was shooting this real band. Now the characters of Ruben and Lou have little to do with Amber and Edgar who make up Jucifer, but the construct was there and this whole, the, you know, so it was really, a, I, I took over this kind of hybrid doc that Derek was making and I just started over and wrote it. Wow. So it actually did come from, from real people. It seems like you come from kind of the documentary space or did, or you worked a lot in docs and um, it, this movie is just like so hyper real directing this. It's like crack that hyper real kind of thing. Like, do you think coming from doc, do you think that that was just kind of natural or is that, do you kind of have to maintain that kind of work at that to keep that hyper real thing? And that kind of plays into the improv of it. Was there, did you kind of allow that? Did you encourage improv or was everything just on the page? You know, you know, most things were on the page, but there's, there are some sections where I really wanted it mm. to be very free flowing and improvisational. A lot of the stuff that comes from deaf culture, you know, I really wanted those moments with the kids to almost feel like a documentary to yeah. feel like you're, you're just peering into a culture that most of us haven't seen. Yeah. You know? um, and then, you know, there's some sections like when they're driving, you know, together, Lou and, Ru and, and Ruben are driving, you know, we had long sections of improv while, while they're just kind of talking and, you know, the script reflects, you know, the script wants it to be chunks and moments on the road every day. So you kind of just feel a sense of what they do every day mm -hmm. and you, and you feel it being true. Like, yeah. yeah, that's what people do. They talk about fucking everything. In the world. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Was this your directorial debut? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Could you, could you speak into that a little bit more? Like what, what was that like being first time director on set and, and maybe speaking to some of the challenges that you face on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, you know, the, the act of directing for me is, feels very natural. Uh, it was a very joyful process actually directing. Um, it's a highly charged process. And I think that if anything, the, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I like highly charged, you know, I like that filmmaking, there's a sense of danger when you're making a film and it's, it's, you know, there's a lot at stake and I quite like that. Um, I think they, again, where it's difficult as a first time director, um, when you have kind of audacious ideas that, you know, at first everybody's like, oh, this guy, you know, um, <laughs> not everybody, but there's a certain number of people that, that, you know, want to let you know, they know what's up, right. they know what's best. And, you know, I always said to everybody, look, I'm, I only get one shot at not knowing, you know, like I, I, the best things come from, from trusting instincts and, you know, that's the way we're rolling on this thing. You know, I'm not, if you think I'm here to like be a professional, like, no worse word than professional. Like, you know, go back to making a series for, for, you know, right. Netflix or something. That's not what we're after here. Right. We're after, you know, a live living experience, period, full stop. Mm. And, you know, I've been planning this movie for over 10 years at this point. And, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a freak, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm into this. So I, I was making choices and living with choices and happy to do that. And, um, and I think that, you know, even if it was uh, very different for a lot of people in the beginning, um, a lot of people that, that thought professionalism was awesome. Uh, it, it, 
shifted. And I think as we shot, people went, ah, Mm -hmm. something's happening here. That's insane. 13 years in the making. Did you, did you become more confident in your story or as time, you know, kept ticking on, were you like, what, like you said, 1500 pages of, of the 2000, right? Something like that. Somewhere in that range. yeah, we wrote a lot of different versions of the various scripts to kind of get here and different versions of different characters, different versions of Ruben, even different names and Lou and everything. So it wasn't it wasn't like we had a 1500 page script, it was, you know, um, but yes. So did I become more confident once I knew that story had hit it? I I, I never I never lost that. I mean, I always knew the story had this core and I, I just had to earn it and find mm-hmm. it. Once that happened, um, it was, man, I, I never doubted it. Uh, again, I doubted, I doubted everything else, like, you know, finding financing, you know, all finding the right actors, all of that stuff is fucking hard. But you know. <laughs> for me, like, you know, I, I've never, <laughs> I haven't spent 13 plus years on a script before, but like, I, you know, the time that I do spend on whatever I'm working on. And the longer it goes, I start to question, like, what the hell, like, is this even good? Is this like, what am I doing? You know, and, and I, I'm guilty of abandoning it. So I'm just, I'm just, I really, I'm amazed and inspired by this 13 year journey and the fact yeah. that, you know, you, you, you grew more confident in it as time went on. Yeah. It never lost excitement for me at all. I, mm. I, I knew there was something really exciting about this project. Like mm. I, it, it just, it never went away. And there were so many different moments where the world kind of tempted me to think it was shit. Like, mm. um, you know, I, I, I remember when whiplash won Sundance and like everybody came up to me and was like, dude, I'm sorry. They made right. the drunk movie. Wow. <laughs> right. Wow. You know, I'm like, Oh, for God's sakes. It's, it's so funny. It's like, we don't do that with space movies. <laughs> right. I, I didn't right. even think of whiplash watching <laughs> this so movie. So interesting. And, no, I didn't. You know, I didn't what was, of... what was that like? Like the process of, you said like the financing eye roll, like, <laughs> which we all know about, but what was that? Was that a major hurdle or was there a point in the movie when you, you know, the scripts written, well, the script had been written for a long time, but where everything just kind of shot to the moon where it's like, all right, this is happening. Or was it, okay, if we got to finance it and, you know, all this sort of rigmarole. Yeah, I went through a lot of financiers, uh, a number of them. And really it came down to, it's one thing to get a movie financed. It's another to be able to make the movie you want to make. And they are two separate things. Mm. And sometimes financing is like a deal with the devil. Yeah. You know, it maybe it has, it has these, you know, you will finance it, but, you know, mm. you have to do this, you have to do that. And where's the line there? And that was a right. tricky one for me, you know, and I, you know, I had a kind of a certain amount of strike policy. And then when people, you know, say they're going to do one thing and then do another, which happened a whole hell of a lot of times, I had this whole film set up to go um, with a whole different cast wow. and wow. fully financed. Wow. And financiers at the last moment just said, oh, we don't have the money. Um, and then I, wow. I had it financed again. And then even... 12 days before shooting, um, I had different financiers um, who started to make demands, um, like editing demands, and um, and started to, you know, wanted producer fees. And all of a sudden, I had 19 days to shoot the film, now, given the, given the amount of fees that they wanted. So I just said, no, I said, no, 
doing it, not doing it. And I, <laughs> yeah, how many days did it, did you actually shoot the movie in? About 25. Wow. Um, which is not a lot. It's kind of a quietly epic movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it sure seriously, is. that's some, really, some, yeah. uh, something I wanted to talk about was the sound design in this. It's yeah. like, some of the greatest like sound design I've ever yeah. heard in a movie because with like also the lack of sound, you know? So it's mm. like, it's, it's crazy. Like I was wondering, especially the pe- the moment where, um, you know, Ruben, well, after he's had the surgery and the noise he hears when he's able to finally hear, like how, Oh yeah. Is that accurate to what someone in his situation would have heard? The, 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 the modulated. The, yeah. Kind of the thing? way it yeah. is. Is yeah. that accurate? Or is that something you guys well, completely came up with? Oh no, believe it or not. It's tame. It's tame. It's tame. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the deal is if you're an adult and you get a cochlear implant, no, no, don't get me wrong. This film doesn't like editorialize about whether cochlear implants are good or bad. Mm. It, it, the film doesn't have an opinion about that. But mm. the one thing that is true, objectively true, is if you get cochlear implants as an adult, especially, your brain is just like confused as shit. You know, you, it's right. not, it's, you know, for people who were profoundly deaf for their whole life, they're hearing sound for the first time and, and it's, they don't, they don't measure that sound against something else. Mm, wow. But, but if you're late deafened, if you're, especially if you were a musician or in Ruben's case, an audiophile mm. and you get, and you get cochlear implants, like it's, it's much harder than what's portrayed in the film. I really tried to push the boundaries to what we can stand you know, um, mm. and you know, there were times in the cut where it was, it was too much. Right. You know? and, and it's not just the sonic register. It's also the directionality. You don't, your brain doesn't know where sounds coming from because yeah. it's bypassing your cochlea. It's not, it has nothing to do with it. It's oh, a signal wow. that is hitting your, it's a digital impulse that's hitting your brain and your brain's sorting it. So over time, our brains are so amazing that over time, we will sort out those sounds and start to code them and understand them. Children do that really well. Adults do it less well, where we get less flexible as we, as we grow. So yeah, it's super accurate. And people that have gone through this have told us as much. They've said, wow, that's, that, that is a bit like how it is. And, um, but there's so much nuance to it. And as a nod to the audiology community, I know that there's a huge amount of nuance. Now they have ones where you can block out background noise and this wow. and that. It's wow. constantly evolving. Mm, um, it's amazing. I just got the chills hearing you say yeah. it's tamed. And I'm like, what the Oof. hell? Like, right. geez, I know. That's, right. I know. that's what I mean. That's what this film did for me, man. It was just the insight it gave me into the deaf mm. community. Like I have, I've never even thought of like what, what that's like mm, yeah and yeah. just the the uh yeah the language barrier too like when yeah, when when uh you just get the voice uh memo or recorder up on the screen mm-hmm. where it's it's just that alone i'm just like oh man like right and you totally like you put yourself in ruben's position you're like i would fucking run away like i wouldn't know how to handle that like yeah. you know how are you ruben i'm okay You're an addict. Yep. It remind me of the uh, the act structure, um, and I, I want to ask uh, Darius. I want to ask you about the you know what kind of story structure you use, and it it uh, remind me of like the uh, denial and anger 
yeah, that that kind of, of grief. Yeah, yeah, the stages of grief yeah. was that. Did that play a role in writing the script mm. and and writing Ruben? Was like the stages of the five stages of grief. Yeah, they're very present. Actually, they're really present. If we talk about the five stages of grief, let's go through them. Right. So, right in first, Ruben. The very first thing you see is is Ruben's like, "No, I'm good." Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the and the and the guy at the um, audiology place says, "You know, just stay away from noise." And what does he do? He goes and plays. That's denial. Right. Um, you know, uh, anger comes. You know, then he's thrashing around in the airstream, and then and then the third one, we have bargaining depression and then acceptance, right? Yeah, correct. So, so the the bargaining is really um, leading us to that scene with Joe. If you look at what's happening in that scene with Joe, what has he done? He's sold his Airstream. He's mm. set up a construct where he's going to, he's literally bargaining. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And then he goes with Joe and he's like, man, can I do this money? Because I got to do this and I got to do that. He's bargaining. Yeah. You know? yeah. He's like, no, 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 because I'm going to go here. Oh, it's okay. I'll ask her. She has a rich father. I'm going to do this. So he's, it's all bargaining. And then, and then depression. And depression shows itself in a number of moments, you know, depression at the party when he's standing alone in Europe, he's, he's really alone. Depression when he sees and hears her sing and he, and we realize he can't really hear, he's lost music and you see his eyes. That's, these are the layers being peeled back. It's depression. And the depression when he walks away and he's sitting on the bench and he's looking at this sound, that sound, you know, these are all things that are killing. And then of course the bells and the very yeah. first thing, you know, it's just, just like that sense of abandonment, that sense of, you know, being unseen and the, and the yeah. world moving on. And then finally, then just in the last moments of the movie is acceptance. That was the most amazing ending. Yeah. Like mm. <laughs> it made you smile. And it was so it cathartic was... and so, so satisfying. There was several moments in the movie um, where I, I rewinded to watch performances. It was just like, and, and I found myself sitting on the edge of my seat, really, especially with the moments with Joe. And then the other moments were the group moments. During those moments, I find myself just glued to them. And in, in the, these actors in here, especially the teacher, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about the, the ASL of it and, and sort of those actors and, and the casting of them perhaps and, and a little bit of that because that was really made a huge impression on me. Oh, well, thanks, you guys. I mean, that was awesome. I mean, th- this was like a, you know, the real the real idea here is to allow the deaf community. Now, deaf culture is a big word. You know, there's a lot that falls under the umbrella of deaf culture. I mean, there's all manner of subcultures. So this movie, you know, it really just wanted to allow uh, some subsets of deaf culture to represent themselves. And, and part of the idea here was to was to remind and, and show and suggest that, you know, it's not like, it's not a monolith, mm. you know, there's a, there's deaf addicts, you know, where there, there's deaf gay addicts. There's an addict here who's, who's Hispanic and has been in gangs. There's, you know, not everybody isn't defined by just their deafness, you know? And, you know, so Lauren Ridloff is a teacher and she in fact was a teacher in in her life for 10 years. She taught kids. So she brought this sense of, you know, everything she does with those kids is from her own experience teaching deaf kids and, um, and the games that they play up in the field, you know, one of them's like an elephant game. It's only, it's unique to the deaf, uh, to deaf culture and something that may have not even been on screen before. Um, And then, you know, even a deaf dinner,
a member of the cast told me afterwards, he said, look, that's a deaf dinner. You know, drinks always spill every single deaf dinner, you know, because it's super physical, you know, and. Right, because um, they're hitting the table, getting each other's attention, right? Wow. Yeah, and the more animated the conversation gets, the more shit's going to fly. <laughs> and it's like, it's something that, that deaf people don't do when they go to restaurants in hearing culture. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they assimilate more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, and he, he said to me, he's like, I, you know, that's, you're seeing something that we don't really share that's very wow. often with wow. hearing culture. You know, wow. so it was really special. Um, wow. And, and again, that's them representing themselves. That was like, that was really just pure. Yeah. You just, you just happen to be there with a camera. <laughs> that's how it's meant to feel that we happen to be there with a camera. Obviously, you know, that was its intention, but it was really this, the sense of, you know, I think the trust that we had on set um, and the fat, the sense of kind of that community feeling they could share it, you know, and, and live into it. And yeah, casting was amazing. It was it was like a lot of a lot of the people in that community are actually people that have dealt with addiction and some local people from Bo- local deaf people from Boston. Wow. Um, you know, so it was just it was just like an incredibly rich experience. Casting Joe was really hard, you know, because he's he's an interesting character. He has a foot in the deaf community, a foot in the hearing community. He's he's a veteran. He's got all yeah. these like specific aspects to his character. And so casting that role is super yeah, man. Just those those little moments throughout the film, like even the the teacher flickering the lights to get everyone's attention, and it's just like, yeah. no, it's, it's just stuff like yeah, like I wouldn't think I doesn't like I don't even think actually happens, you know. But it's right. it's, no, it's really cool right. to see all that, yeah, you know. But moments. is that stuff something like you, you know, someone taught you being on set? Like yeah, well, we would do this. We'd flick the lights off to get everyone's attention, or was this just thirteen years of researching mm. the, this this, this world? It was both. I spent a lot of time in deaf communities, you know, while we were writing and, the, and, and, you know, so things like flicking the lights are things that I knew, but then there were a lot of things that the deaf community, you know, just, just were like, Nope, it's like this or Nope, it's like this. No, this is what we do. And, you know, that, that was the greatest thing. That's what I wanted, you know, that's great. I was, I was really open to, you know, it's not my culture, you know, to represent. And so I just wanted it to be like that. And that's how it was. It was awesome. Darius, uh, your brother Abraham, he he wrote this alongside of you, correct? He did, man. We wrote this over <laughs> many years in Brooklyn. It was, it was it was awesome. It was it was intense. You know, I mean, it was like a, yeah, it was a long journey. What's um, that like? Because we're brothers. We write in the room. We almost kill each other. Almost every word we put on page. I mean, it's it's crazy. So it know. works. It works though with us. But yeah. how do you guys do it? Uh, best idea wins you know you can't argue with that if it's kind of like it's democracy you know it's not a dictatorship it's like hey what does everyone think the majority votes and that's that's what we go with and move forward otherwise you could be on page one on the first line of action for for weeks and not go anywhere (laughs) that's awesome best idea wins is something that a lot of people say but a lot of people don't do yeah that's true we can be brutally honest you know like we won't we're not afraid to tell yeah. someone to f off. You know? yeah. yeah. One thing we would do is, uh, if someone has a bad idea, we'd say pull, and it's like skeet shooting. You, you throw <laughs> you throw your idea up in the air, and everyone like pretends to shoot it down. <laughs> this is awesome, you guys. That's the way we, you know, actually interesting and apropos of of sound of metal. You know, I couldn't get the ending right of sound of metal. The whole ending, the whole last part in your, I just couldn't nail it. And Derek and I had been trying to get to land this book, which Empire of the Summer Moon 
concurrently while I was working on Sound of Metal. And um, we couldn't get it. It was with like Ridley Scott and various places. And it had even been written into a script. And then already it was just a, one of those hard properties to get. And then at one point he called and he's like, hey, we got it. And I was like, shit, that's amazing. But <laughs> I'm, But I'm writing Sound of Metal. You know, and I was at that time just banging my head again, trying to get the end of this film right. And um, so I actually said no at first. And and I wasn't getting paid to write Sound of Metal. You know, this was like, this was, this was, I needed, I, I had like starving children and no insurance, you know? So <laughs> oh, wow. um, I eventually said, yeah. And we, and, and I wrote a draft of that over the course of five months or something. It was so intense. Because as you know, it's a thick tome. It's, it's, it's like, you know, 500 years of history. Um, so I wrote this ridiculous draft, like 250 page draft. And, mm -hmm. um, and when I finished, I kind of looked up from this draft and I remembered Sound of Metal that I hadn't thought about in all that time. I had really put myself to this other project. And I just like that end of Sound of Metal just flowed right wow. out. Wow, how about that? Wow. That's incredible. It's a, it's a, it's a lesson as a writer. I hope to never forget, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. it, it was like the letting go and, it, you know, putting myself to a different thing for whatever reason, man, it just flowed out. I wrote the end or the last part of that, that in three weeks or something, you know, wow. and that was I love year. how long you sit with them too. Mm, in that moment. I love that. You so, know, you're kind of yeah. waiting for it to cut black, cut to black and the credits come and, but he just, but it keeps going and you're just sitting there and you're just like, this is incredible, you know? <laughs> really? Yeah, that's really cool. You know, that was a funny thing to shoot and a cool thing to shoot, but you know, again, it's chronological. So we're at the end of this journey mm -hmm. and you know, I, this was really about Ruben and Riz letting go. You know, this was that, what is that to let go? And so I rolled that camera, you know, we're shooting 35 millimeter and rolling is, is a thing, you know? It's not digital. And so I'm rolling a like 11 minute shot of him just sitting. Wow. And, um, and, and it wasn't until, you know, it took time. And then if you, if you watch that shot, you see he's got these little stages where he's like, he looks like he's in his body, but then it's like, he actually hits this moment where he actually sinks into it. And that's where you cut, you know, yeah. you, you, you cut after he really lands. No, just, yeah. Sitting with him in that moment. And uh, yeah, that's everything. It's perfect. Yeah. He's, he finally is still, he sits. Yeah. He's still. <laughs> that's great. He's still. You, yeah. Isn't, Jerry. That, isn't that a crazy thing though? On a, on a writing level, you know, like I was saying to, this was what was so cool about this film uh, to write and to make is to think, how do you, how do you feel that? You know, that would, that ostensibly is the least dramatic thing in the world, right? There's no sound. You've removed everything. It's a static shot. How do you feel that? Mm. How do you earn that? That's exciting to me. That's an exciting yeah. language. Yeah, everything you're telling us right now is like, right. it's, it's gold, it's in invaluable. And yeah. we appreciate it so much. Well, what I will say, I mean, first of all, what you guys are doing as brothers is really beautiful. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I, I obviously adore my brother and, um, and, you know, we have been partners creatively for a long time, um, but he's nine years younger than me. Um, and, but, you know, really the fact that you guys write together and learn to trust your instincts and learn to, to um, respect kind of the process of um, 
without being precious. Yeah. It's, it's God, you guys are going to be in such great shape to direct. <laughs> oh man. Well, well we it's, hope so. <laughs> yeah. We hope so. It's when you watch movies like sound of metal, you kind of like, you get a little jealous. You're like, it's fucking perfect. Like, I, I can never <laughs> yeah. write something. That it is. It is. I was going to say that earlier. Man. Like, it's a perfect film. It really is. No. It is. I got to say, like, the cool thing about this podcast is for us is like we get to speak to someone like you, Darius, and, uh, you know, yeah. the other writers that we spoke with mm-hmm. in, you know, this past couple of weeks. And uh, uh, the writer, co-writer for Soul, Mike Jones, we spoke with him and he told us about the um, Pixar's North Star. Mm. And it's like that moment that like as a writer, you strive to like you come up, you you, you conjure up this idea and it's and it's perfect and you got to stick to it that, you know, the North right. Star. And yeah. I got to say your ending, like as I'm watching the film, the the ending is yeah. totally your North Star, you know, yeah. like it's just like a moment. And I I guess I want to ask you, I know you said you, you struggled with the ending there, but uh, did you have an ending that you had to work towards? I, I did. I mean. I struggled with the ending for a long time, but when I got that ending, you know, I always knew the essence of the ending. You know, I knew where I knew that where I wanted to end up. I knew that aspect of acceptance and stillness. Uh, I, I understood that it was just the how. It was the it was the way. How do you peel back those yeah. layers? How do you do it? Um, but yeah, it was an uh, the true north thing is something I really think about in screenwriting. I really try to earn that north and try and and keep it in my in my I'm doing it right now with another script you know and I and I really relate to that it's it's mm-hmm. it's in a way you know what I always talk about with everybody when we're making a film is you know you're not serving me and you're not serving the actors or anyone else you're just serving the film yeah that's yeah. that's we're all doing it we're all doing it together and um you know that's how I it sounds like you guys do that in the writing process. And that's certainly what I do. But when you have an ending that is what my word with Derek is undeniable, when you have that undeniable um, place, it doesn't mean you've earned it yet, but is that place, that frequency, that, that end, and you can serve it. And until you serve it, then you just toss that shit up. And <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, I love it. Great callback. Great callback. <laughs> no, like I said, yeah, just that's you know that's the coolest thing about mm-hmm. this podcast is just being able to talk to people Seriously. like you. You know, yeah. right? And oh man, this learn. is so awesome, you guys. I'm so <laughs> excited for you. I really am. So I'm rooting for you. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. thank you so much. And, you know, hang on to this thing. You know, like trust your instincts with people, especially. Um, you know, only work with people you love. And um, the other thing is, uh, is, you know, enjoy the not knowing everything. It's, it's really something very few people will probably tell you, but, you know, it's the, it's the, the, some of the best things in directing and filmmaking come from that. And you'll only get it once, you know, you only direct your first once Mm. and, and allow yourself to not know, and to go in and, you know, you're going to make choices. You're going to have, you're going to do all that. That's fine. But you're also going to discover some things and you're going to try things that might be ill-advised because you don't know, and they might be the best things you do. So, you know, this notion of professionalism in art, it's, it's a misnomer. You know, we never get there. Hopefully if we're doing real work, we never fucking know. We have to be vulnerable and fragile every single time and if we're not feeling that way if we're experts we're we've lost our way yeah 
Awesome. Wow. <laughs> well said. Yeah, well said. Did you, did you write that down? Did you have prepared? We have it on record, so we'll play yeah. it. Darius, thanks so thanks, much, man. man. Yeah, can't, can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, Seriously. really. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, I'm rooting for you. Can't wait to see That's how awesome. it goes. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Take care. Darius. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Darius. Bye.